My new book, How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital, is out. You can get it at capitalistbook.com. Here's what Nicholas said on March 6th on Amazon. Incredibly incisive, useful, and sensible. The author is not greedy and is, in fact, extremely generous and does not hold back on the knowledge he imparts. I've barely made it halfway to the book, and I'm already gushing over the book because it's an absolute gem. Nathan gets to the point quick, shows proof, and best of all, shows you not just what to do, but how to do it in explicit detail. To say the book is actionable is an understatement. Now, you guys that listen to the podcast know I'm detail-oriented, so that review might not surprise you, but I hope you grab the book. It's now a Wall Street Journal instant national bestseller. Grab it at capitalistbook.com. Audible version is available too. Writer Access, a big success, launches a marketplace many, many years ago called back in 2010. They've now scaled that to many millions of dollars of volume in terms of projects going from people who need writers to the actual writers. Byron keeps 30% of those project sales and pays the writers, uh, call it 70%. They've got about uh, 15,000 folks, freelancers on the platform, 25,000 customers. Once that did well, he said, you know what, let me build up the ecosystem. Let's launch a conference. First year, 150 folks attended, then 280 in year two, year three, 400, year four, about $600,000 ticket price, so about 600 grand in conference revenue. Still though, break even to cash flow negative as he uses that again as a loss leader to grow the marketplace at about 7.2 million bucks in revenue last year alone. Scaling quickly with his team of 11 up there in Boston and other remote locations. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Byron White. He's one of the original content marketing revolutionaries and founder of Writer Access. He started several other businesses, including Freelance Access, Life Tips, idea launch, and more. Byron is the chair and founder of Content Marketing Conference, an event featuring 65 speakers and 20 keynotes in 2018. He has authored four books on content marketing topics, is a popular speaker at dozens of conferences, and hosts a webinar and podcast series. Byron, are you ready to take us to the top? Well, bring it on. Nice to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. So I want to figure out what to dial in here on the show because you do so many things. Writer Access, is that a SaaS platform, pure play software? It is, Yes. Okay. And did that come before the conference and before the speaking and, and the podcast or was it later? Um, it came before the conference. Yes. It's, 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 uh, yeah. Okay. So let's, let's focus on that then. Tell us what writer access does and, and what's the revenue model. How do you make money? Sure. Writer access is a marketplace that connects 25,000 customers with 15,000 freelance writers, editors, content strategists, and all kinds of interesting people in the content marketing industry. What was the sorry? What was the marketplace numbers there? Twenty five thousand customers and what on the other side? Twenty five thousand customers and fifteen thousand freelancers. Five zero or one five? One five zero zero zero. <laughs> so a lot, lot of talent, a lot of customers, and our software 
And our platform makes it easy for our customers to find freelancers, place orders, and manage the workflow inside of our platforms with some really cool tools. And do you view this more as a marketplace revenue model? It's a percentage of spend that kind of goes to the platform or it's more a flat fee SaaS model? For the first five or six years of our eight years of operations, we were a pure marketplace transactional business. In the last year, we made a pivot over to SaaS where we're now charging a fee to use our technology and access various levels of talent in our pool. Byron, that's a big change. It's a big deal. Why'd you do it? Well, I think that our, uh, the millions of dollars that we put into our software had to find a way to generate some revenue at some point. We were very careful with how we did that um, and wanted to make sure we had a really good value proposition and were worth 39 bucks a month or as much as $350 a month to use our platform, access our talent, and create a unique brand position that very simply had something that the other brands and marketplaces out there did not have. So we feel we've achieved that goal, we made the pivot, and it, it has gone crazy well, like insanely well. Like we're probably- Quantify that for me. Well, we're probably, we're bringing in more customers on a, on a daily, weekly basis than we were when we were an open source free platform, which is pretty crazy if you think about it. Mm-hmm. So, well, just to be clear, an open source free platform can't bring on any customers. So, of course, now... <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> do, do you mean, though, you're now today in a week bringing on more paid customers than you added in terms of just new free users in the past? Well, the free users, I agree with that, your statement that you don't call them customers until they pay. But imagine this, when we were open and free for anybody to try, we could bring in freelancers that wanted to try to see what the platform was all about. Or we could bring in people that were kicking our tires and uh, you know, taking a, a look at our model but not spending any money. Those customers, and those are really prospect customers, those prospects cost us money because we have to deal with them and call them or email them or market to them and figure out what they want. So by gating our model to say, if you're serious about content, we would like you to prepay a $39 fully refundable prepayment. So pull out your card if you, if you really are interested in experiencing the quality of our, of our, of our platform and our service. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I mean. And so when you look at the numbers of, of all of those free people who actually bought a, a blog post for $17.50, you know, we're bringing in more people now that are paying 39 or more just for membership than we were for this I the, see. The one out of 10 people that finally bought something for $17. I see. Now you said you go between 39 and something like three or 400 bucks per month. Give, give yeah. me an average just to avoid going down every cohort. What's the average customer pay per month? Um, about a thousand, about a hundred bucks. Oh, yeah. about a hundred bucks. Okay, good. And then let's put this on a timeline. When did you launch the platform, the, the, the marketplace platform, the whole thing? Um, eight years ago, 2010. Okay. 2010. And then just recently, 2017 is when you turn on the SaaS revenue. Correct. At the end, very end of 2017, uh, we, we turned that on. Okay. Um, and by the way, we're pleased to announce that we made the Inc. 5000 list for the fifth year in a row. Oh, that's fifth. great. That's yeah. really, that's really, really great. I, I will dive more into that in a second. What if, tell me first though, what have you scaled to in terms of total customers using you? Well, like I said, the, the 25,000 customers, we're up to about 26,000 customers now have made a deposit on writer access. 
Sorry, sorry. I just meant, I, I, sorry. The show usually focuses on SaaS revenue. I always forget to qualify oh, that. I mean, just on your SaaS product, yeah. Um, a lot. <laughs> okay. I mean, are we talking like hundreds or thousands? Oh, well, more than yeah, thousands. That, okay, so between a thousand and ten thousand is fair. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So, so, I mean, look, at minimum a thousand at a hundred bucks pop. So it's already generating a hundred grand per month in, in MRR. Is that accurate? You know, I wouldn't go that far. We have, if you look at churn rates and if you look at uh, sorting out the, the lifetime value of customers, um, you know, I wouldn't say that that's a fair uh, number. Okay. Neither of those things tie back though to current MRR. They might be future indicators of growth, but taking a thousand customers times a hundred dollar ARPU would give us a hundred thousand in MRR. Which of those two numbers are wrong, the customer or the average ARPU? Um, the average, uh, average monthly recurring revenue is not a thousand, thousand. We don't have a thousand people at this moment in history paying average $99. I see. I see. I see. Okay. So so point on that as well. Only 30 days ago, did we launch the $349 program? So you have to keep that in mind. Yeah, no, that's fine. No, I understand, by the way, that you just so, launched this. There, by the way, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of people, this model of moving from a marketplace to a marketplace plus SaaS is, yeah. is very in right now. A lot of people are trying it. And so I try and dive into these stories, understanding that the SaaS revenue is typically fairly early. Um, yeah. so, I mean, do you know off the top of your head, do you, is it 100 or 150 or 400 that are on just the pure play SaaS side? I love your tenacity with numbers. Thank you for that. But I'm really not prepared to disclose how many people are paying on a monthly recurring basis. I think our stats and our story is more interesting with regards to how we made the transition and what value proposition we're offering customers. Fair enough? Sure. I appreciate that. But we've also done about 3,000 of these interviews and I know what my audience wants to hear and it's metrics, not pie in the sky kind of philosophy. So share you already shared stuff on Inc. So why don't you just share what you already shared with Inc. What's revenue and what did you share? Uh, we generated $7.2 million in 2017. Um, and we did not disclose to Inc. what percentage of that was SaaS versus marketplace revenue. Okay, great. So all in, now does that include the conference business or just everything through writer's access? That actually does include the conference business. Yes. Sorry, does? That does include the conference does. business. Okay. And, and so you mentioned, I think you said the, the software came after the conference. Um, what, what made you want to jump into creating a marketplace? Why not just double down on the conference? Uh, the, way the conference came after the software business. Uh, other way around, by the way, the conference came after the SaaS business. Let me flip my question. Let me flip my question then. Conferences are very hard to scale. Most people lose money uh, their first year of the conference. Why go into something that you know is going to be a loss leader for at least a year? So it's our fourth year of the conference. Uh, actually, it'll be our fifth year this year. We absolutely knew that the conference would be a money loser going in, uh, to going into the play. Uh, but we felt uh, it was very important to us to establish our leadership position in the marketplace and to meet face to face with customers and prospect customers and to you know really do our job to help educate the masses on content marketing, which is really what we've tried to do for four years. Mm-hmm. And talk break, I mean, break down the nerves that first year, you know, you're looking at ticket sales a month before go live day and you're like, oh my gosh, we're like 50% full. And then hopefully you get a big spurt, right? The two weeks before walk me through what's going through your head. Um, well, I can give you some numbers on that if you want. Yeah, I love them. We did some, we did about 150 people the first year, 300 the second year. Um, let me think about this for a second. One, we did 150 the first year, but 280 the second year. Three, almost 430 year uh-huh. and 600 the fourth year. 600 the fourth year. 
And yeah. uh, so we had, we think that's pretty good growth. Um, you know, and the show this year was just jaw dropping. This was the fourth year. This was the fourth 600. year. Yes. In May of 2018. And it was have a- you, have you structured, you know, altered pricing, you know, dealt with the meal negotiations with the conference and have you gotten it to the point where it's cash flow positive now, or is it break even? Well, uh, so, okay. That's Here's- the laugh of someone that's still losing money on it, which is okay. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that, by the way. I'm just curious, yeah. you know, how you're thinking about it. Sure. So, um, the first two years we ran the conference, we, we hired a company called uh, Rising Media that did a fabulous job of running the conference. Yep. They are a professional conference management company. Um, and their goals and objectives are to make money as soon as possible. And what that meant from our perspective was philosophically, this was not ever intended to be a money maker for Writer Access. It was meant to be its own standalone brand content marketing conference that was founded by me, the chair of the conference. Mm-hmm. So we have philosophical differences with rising media on expenditure. Should we film every session? Should we have black curtains behind the stage? I mean, these became very frustrating conversations for both sides of the table. And I completely respect their side of the table, which is wanting the conference to be profitable. So after two years, we decided to sever ties with them. Again, nothing but positive things to say about them. Sure. Uh, and, and move the conference to Boston, where we could lose money at a much faster pace and have a much better show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we took it to the next level big time. Uh, we moved it to the Western Waterfront. We paid speakers what we felt we should be doing from the get-go. We went from you know four non-paying keynotes to... Last year, we had 20 keynotes, 20, you know, tell me a show that has 20 keynote speakers. It was insane. Mm-hmm. Um, 10 during the regular conference. And then we hosted a uh, content marketing keynote, uh, I'm sorry, comedy marketing keynote series, which was fascinating uh, to see what the response to that would be. And which was had, what? Well, how um, was the response? Absolutely, overwhelmingly positive. Um, this marketplace, as it turns out, is starving for comedy mm-hmm. like at, 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 at a proportion that I, I did not even understand when I came up with uh, the idea to experiment with comedy marketing which I believe is is a new frontier we're all going to have a lot of fun with mm-hmm. so okay so this makes a lot of sense uh, you're still losing money on it but you you know you can afford to lose money on it because you can underwrite it with other lines of revenue. So writer access is obviously another line of revenue. Is there other, any other revenue streams I'm missing from your overall business? Um, not, not really. I mean, we have uh, our highest tier of at writer access is what we call managed service. So we layer services into the SaaS model, but it is recurring revenue from a SaaS perspective. Yep. So we basically give away free, free managed service when you sign up for a $349 package. Okay. So we, we leap from 99 at the highest SaaS, pure SaaS, you know, tier to 349, which layers on service on top of that. And, and Byron, what's the team size today? How many people? Uh, 11. Okay. And what's the breakdown between the software engineers writing the SaaS product versus the folks doing onboarding and professional services, things like 90% that? 90% uh, service and only I have a very important developer and development team that is is very small, but does all of our code development. Is it just one person? It's okay if it is. Pretty much. Yeah. But you know, we, we do, we, we, yes and no, we've, we've had 
other people work with us over the years. We've been around for eight years. So we've had a department of uh, two or three people full-time, uh, down to one, down to two. So we flip-flop around depending upon what our next year's plan is with regards to rollout and development. Mm-hmm. If your SaaS product scales, you know, downtime will not be an option. And so stability in the developer role is going to be critical. I struggle with that. A lot of people that are not developers struggle with that. Um, you know, what you just articulated, one person there maybe might be like someone building a bridge where there's a single point of failure of winds hit 150 miles per hour. You never want a single point of failure. Mm-hmm. So does that make you nervous? And if so, how do you deal with that? Um, we're... It does make me nervous and, um, you know, but we've got some pretty good, you know, backup and redundancy and plan B, you know, if and when needed, mm-hmm. um, we can bring in other people that we know and trust to help out if, if, if something unfortunate happened. Yep. yep. Um, so, you know, we, we try to cover ourselves, but the key for us is trying to think way ahead, right? So, um, you know, if we need to beef up our staff, we absolutely will. You know, we're, we've been profitable for since the get-go. So if we want to spend more money on something, we can. And we've done that at scale. We've done that in Romania with, you know, four or five developers working for us with our core developers scaling it out. We've done it with other full-time employees. But the key is you have to really understand the wants and needs of your customers and what they really want and how to stay ahead of your competition and the platform. And yep. so you know, we make decisions on, okay, what do we want to invest in trying to stay three to six months ahead of the game? Yep. Um, so for example, we, um, we've, we made a decision that we want to expand into representing designers and illustrators and animators because our clients have been asking for that for a long content. time. You know, we need content, but not just, you know, words. We need to expand beyond words. Yep. Um, and some of our, some of our uh, investments have absolutely failed. My, my famous bomb is launching... Uh, translation service. Um, we we went at it like most companies probably would. We hired staff um, to help build the model out. We hired um, uh, developer, uh, you know, additional development support to build a version of Writer Access that could manage a slightly different workflow platform. Um, and it, the whole thing took about eight months. We spent about a quarter of a million dollars on it, and then we're like, da da, let's go. Holy moly, have you ever seen the prices of uh, uh, PPC prices of, you know, hire a translator? They're like, you know, five to ten dollars a click, you know, yeah. so it's very, we, we learned after six to eight months of investment that it's going to be a slow growth track, you know, not a, you know, uh, certainly a hit the market fast and have a new expansion. And did, frankly, did, you, say, did, you, say, did you say transcription or translation? Translation. Oh, translate. Yeah, yeah, even tougher. Even tougher than transcription. We had to, we hired twenty five translators. We didn't hire, but we screened and recruited and brought in our fund our twenty five hundred translators around the globe. Well, thanks for sharing that. It's always fun to you know laugh at other people losing all their money, so it doesn't happen to you. Uh, <laughs> Byron, let, everyone. <laughs> let me go back to the conference real quick. Did you sure. decrease prices to increase attendees when you took no. over? No. Okay, so what was like the price point of this past year? 1600 per ticket. Okay. Um, average ticket cost about uh, just over $1,000. Okay. Sorry. Average, it cost you a thousand to service the $1,600 no, no, no. ticket? Average ticket price about a thousand dollars. I see. Okay. So times the 600 folks, that was about 600 grand there in revenue. 
Excellent math were there. Excellent. Well, yeah, math. I'm quick today. Okay. I'm sharp. <laughs> um, I mean, no, I ask, I mean, I'm not joking. Some people give away hundreds of tickets for free sometimes to fill seats. So it could have been way lower than that. I don't, I don't know. We, yeah. we, we do not no, okay. you, you, no, no, no free tickets. So 600 there, but losing money, breaking even. So it sounds like the majority of the revenue really is coming from the marketplace, especially as you scale up the SaaS side of the business. Is that accurate? Very accurate. Do you share? Yeah, 600,000, just because I know you're a mathematician, that 600,000 was our 2018 revenue from the conference, not our 2017 revenue. As you were doing your reverse engineering of 7.2 million, really minus only a couple hundred thousand from the, the, the conference revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. No, see what you're saying. Um, on, on the marketplace side of things. So, so what, what volume of jobs did you put through the platform over the, over the past 12 months? Or, or how do you measure that? We've put through over a million in eight years. Um, but, and you could correlate that with our revenue growth. So we put together hundreds and thousands of hundreds and thousands of orders went through the platform last year. Hundreds okay. of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. So, so is it fair to say of the of the twenty five thousand customers, right? Or sorry, of the fifteen thousand freelancers, all of those fifteen thousand freelancers were paid call it at least more than a hundred bucks for at least one job through the platform. In other words, they're all active. I wish I they're wish. not all active. Okay, they're not all active. I mean, that's our. We have a. We don't have a supply problem. We have a demand problem. We need yeah. many, many more customers. That's interesting. Okay. So, um, so interesting. Very good. Scaling the SaaS side of stuff. Uh, let me just make sure I've, I've got everything here in my notes. I think I do. So that's very good. Byron, let's, uh, let's, oh no, last question I want to ask you about. Uh, your friend, I'm sure, uh, Joe Paluzzi, exits 2016 for 17.6. Um, he had a, the same kind of product mix that you did um, as an acquisition uh, in the next, you know, on the road for the next couple months for you guys. What was the question? Is there an acquisition? Are you, are you selling the company much like Joe did in the next couple months? No. Why would we do that? We're having a blast. I can't, I don't know you well enough to know if you're being sarcastic right now. No, no, I'm not kidding. I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic. We are, you know, I've sold businesses before. Um, I started businesses. I, I'm a startup guy. I mean, I love starting businesses and it's frankly hard to find businesses that run as well as writer access does and give me an opportunity to, you know, to, to do what I love doing, which is mm-hmm. showing up to work every day and making the product better and the service better. So, you know, I've had success. I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm an entrepreneur that isn't looking for the exit, you know, to retire. You know? So instead I'm looking, I would consider. Are you dis- calling, by the way, are you calling, Joe's going to hear this. Are you calling him old? Is that what you're saying? He's ready. He was ready to retire. You no, know, he, I, how's his novel doing? He's kind of <laughs> stepped out of the, you know, he's, he's got a, he's got an interesting, uh, you know, position in the marketplace. He did very well. Um, I'm still trying to figure out if he sold Content Marketing Institute or whether he hung on to that and just sold the conference because he sold the business to a conference company. Yeah. And my guess is they were not probably interested in CMI. Yeah. So I think CMI still continues onward, right? So, you know, we certainly set up our conference to sell it if we wanted to, but, you know, I think it's an important part of, of your ecosystem. Yeah. You know, I think so. Sorry, I meant to round. I don't know enough to know if it's a good strategy or not. I do know that there's a lot of software companies. You know, I'm usually SaaS, pure SaaS, not marketplace like you, but I know a lot of SaaS companies that are launching their own conferences. I also know the opposite happening. Clayton Mask is the best example. He shut down his user conference, which was huge. Uh, 
um, you know, for a variety of reasons. I have a suspicion it's because a private equity firm didn't like the negative EBITDA on that line of business and he's trying to get cash flow positive. Um, for, for you though, I meant to ask this on the marketplace side of things, if I pay a hundred bucks through the market, sorry, a thousand bucks through the marketplace and you help me get a writer, obviously you make your cut kind of in between there. What generally do you take and do you charge me extra or the writer extra? Oh, we're, we're very transparent in that, by the way. And most, most of these marketplaces are not, which really bothers me. Um, we're 70-30 split. 70% goes to the freelancer, 30% to writer access. And okay. that will continue on. We have no, no inclination to change those rates. They're, they're very fair. And interestingly enough, um, Nathan, you might find this interesting. Back in 1992, when I first started my when I started my first company, it was called Freelance Access. It was a graphic arts placement agency, literally a temp, a temp company, if you will, but focused on graphic designers and illustrators and copywriters. We, we were the first company, I think, in the country to publicly announce our rates back in those days. Mm-hmm. We also invented something. Um, I, I came up with an idea called the Portfolio Access System, where we scanned in printed samples of, of graphic designers' work and illustrators' work and printed out 11 by 17 dye sublimation printers. And you probably wouldn't remember this, but dye sub printers, when they first hit the marketplace, were $40,000 printers. Yeah, Byron, I have no, I was born in 89. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. Good for you. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's really, really cool stuff. So I, I, I bought a dye sub printer uh, on my credit card, which later caused a divorce, by the way. Oh, that's I was, funny. I was newly married. And my wife's like, what? What? A forty thousand dollars in debt? Like, what is that? You know, like we need this. Trust me on this one. I sold <laughs> business. I sold the business five years later for a lot of money. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, it was really exciting. That's great. So, just to be clear, if I put a thousand through Writers Access today, wow. you'll keep seven hundred. The writer will get three hundred. I wish, but sorry, you know, sorry. You keep three hundred. The writer will get seven hundred. Yeah. yeah, we would not have happy talent. Uh, so we're. we're we, uh, but but uh, we're holding our ground and they deserve every 70% of that. But I think they value what we do. Nathan. Yeah, that's, no, that's great. It's great. That's the key in the marketplace. That yeah. is the key right there. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I mean, and again, I can kind of back into a, a GMV, right? If you got 6 million in, in revenue just through that and that's 30% of what was total. I mean, you guys are putting 18, 20 million bucks worth of projects through your platform over the past 12 months, something like that. I love your math. You are just so inclined to math. I just like, I just like getting the top line numbers, you know. <laughs> Generally accurate though. I like, I like the concept of, of, uh, of uh, staying steady with, with uh, disclosing our, our being transparent with our marketplace rates, uh, being transparent with, with how many customers we have and have brought on board. Um, great mathematicians like you that are interested in doing reverse engineering. I've disclosed pretty much, you know, what, what you need to do reverse engineering. Yeah, but I'm saying it's like, it's like you're you're like, this is like bad sex, right? There's too much foreplay. You're giving me the math to do. And then when I do the math, you're saying, I can't confirm or deny that. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. Let's I hear you. I hear you, Byron. All well, right, let's, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Poof, probably In Search of Excellence. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? You know, Brian Halligan's my friend, so I have to footnote that, but I think what he's done and what he will continue to do is just remarkable. Yep. Number three, what is your favorite online tool for building your business? Writer access. Yeah, besides your own. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> um, you know, oh boy, there's just so many. Um, you know, I think, I think I'm going to go with my, my buddy, Mike Roberts, SpyFu. 
Say it again. SpyFu, S-P-Y-F-U. SpyFu, okay. Mike Roberts, my pal from SpyFu. Um, I think what, what, what's SpyFu's ability to, to, sh- to quickly and instantly show intelli- competitive intelligence on what your competitors are doing is absolutely jaw-dropping. From it's, what angle? Like I, an SEM, SEO, content marketing? Um, yes. And just from a business perspective, you can see what ads they're running, their marketing plan, their marketing vision, how much money they're spending. Uh, you can reverse engineer their success. And I think that that is an absolutely a deal changing thing. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Four to six. Okay. So about five there on average. And what's your situation? Married, single kiddos? Married son from a previous marriage. Okay, good. And how old are you? 56. You didn't happen. Now, I know you got divorced because of the printer. You didn't happen to marry the woman that sold you the printer, right? Did you? <laughs> no, but okay. I can tell you stories. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for episode two. Last, last question, Byron. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Say that again? What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? What do I wish my 20-year-old? Self knew. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. Oh my gosh. Um, I wish the web was around. I wish I could buy domain names when I was in my twenties. <laughs> Guys, there you have it. He wishes the web was around back in the day. Writer Access, a big success, launches a marketplace many, many years ago called back in 2010. They've now scaled that to many millions of dollars of volume in terms of projects going from people who need writers to the actual writers. Byron keeps 30% of those project sales and pays the writers, uh, call it 70%. They've got about uh, 15,000 folks, freelancers on the platform, 25,000 customers. Once that did well, he said, you know what, let me build up the ecosystem. Let's launch a conference. First year, 150 folks attended, then 280 in year two, year three, 400, year four, about $600,000 ticket price, so about 600 grand in conference revenue. Still though, break even to cash flow negative as he uses that again as a loss leader to grow the marketplace at about 7.2 million bucks in revenue last year alone. Scaling quickly with his team of 11 up there in Boston and other remote locations. Byron, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks for having me.